Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, here we are back again with Dr. Maurice. Uh, Bill, it's so great to have you with us again on the show for our uh, yeah. wonderful, wonderful weekly talk. It is wonderful, actually. It, it seems like a lot of people are finding them helpful because I've noticed on Twitter and other venues that people seem to be listening. So thank you for asking me to talk every week. Oh, yeah. I'm really glad that you're able to join us every week. You're so busy, and I'm glad that we're able to provide some helpful information to our folks listening in. Agreed. Well, you know, I think it would be important to talk about um, something we haven't spent much time on, which is therapies for COVID-19, because we have some new breakthroughs and some things that we could talk about. And I know this is right Right up your alley with your PhD work in uh, immunology. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what our options are for therapies? Yeah, I got to dust off that PhD degree. Who knew? <laughs> um, it's been confusing. It's not, well, something we haven't talked a lot about because there really haven't been a lot of options. But when you think about treating any kind of viral infection like this, I think there's really three things to think about. There's treating the virus itself, meaning slowing down the virus and how it works in your body, which is our drugs like remdesivir, which actually interfere with how the virus grows within someone's body. There's controlling our response to the virus. So as many people know, what really gets people sick is oftentimes our immune response itself is so overwhelming that it starts to affect other organs in the body. That's what dexamethasone is, is about. It's a steroid. So it doesn't fight the virus. So those people that are really getting sick with the virus, it helps to actually control their own immune response so it doesn't go so jazzed up that it starts to cause other effects. The third, which is probably the most confusing, but Mayo and, and has been involved with from the start, is the concept of passive immunity. So that's actually giving antibodies to someone to the virus, and we can talk about what those are. Yeah, I think that would be great. And I really like the way you broke it down. You know, the actual antiviral therapies that impact the virus, the sort of tamping down on when your body's immune system actually is hurting rather than helping for patients who are really sick. And then this idea of passive immunity, which is probably going to be new to a lot of our listeners. You think about it, so we have Dr. Thiel, who's worked on the, on the blood test, and we talked about that in April, that we had now a blood test that doesn't detect the virus itself, but detects your body's response to the virus if you've been exposed and generated an immune response. And so that is a test, a test for antibodies. So what happens after we get infected, it's, it's really amazing if you think about it, that our body has the ability to, of all the different things that we can get infected with, including something like COVID-19, or SARS-CoV-2 that didn't even exist, right, in humans as of a year ago, that our body has cells that can recognize that virus is different and can make a very specific protein that only blocks that virus called an antibody. That's made by a cell called a B cell. But it takes a bit of time because it, the body's newly exposed. It's never seen this virus before. So it can take a week or two for those antibodies to be made. How those antibodies work once they're made is they actually 
stick to the virus and allow your body to clear it without ever infecting your cells. Good studies have shown that's when people start to feel better, right? Is once those antibodies are around, it starts clearing the virus. That's how we recover from the infection. And how we actually fight it off next time is those antibodies can be remade much more easily if we're re-exposed through a combination of things, B cells and cells called T cells. So that's considered active immunity. My body sees an infection and actively fights it off. And it mm -hmm. takes a couple of weeks for that to, to happen. Passive immunity is when I actually take someone else's immune response, so their antibodies, and give it to someone that either can't make antibodies or before they've had a chance to make them. The idea is that you take these antibodies that your body can make and you give them to somebody when they've been infected by the virus to help them shorten that window or boost their immune response in some way. So it's kind of like those antibodies get to do double duty. They serve in active immunity, helping you yourself fight the virus, but then you can donate those antibodies, sort of like through a blood donation, and then those antibodies can help protect another person as well and help fight the virus in someone else's body. That's right. And that's something we've known about. Actually, I don't have my history PowerPoint slide or book open, but I think believe it was diphtheria, but that was what the Nobel Prize was awarded for about 100 years ago was the whole concept of antibodies, antiserum for diphtheria. So the concept, again, is that you take someone that has been infected, has recovered, they have antibodies in their blood, in the clear part of the blood called the plasma, so we take that plasma out and we then give it to someone else that's been infected that some people can't make antibodies. So one of the things that we'll probably see going forward are patients that are on chemotherapy or sometimes patients have deficits in their immune system, immune deficiencies, that they just can't make antibodies. But to take those antibodies out and to give them to someone, ideally early in the course of the infection, going all the way back to the Nobel Prize, right, is that you give it earlier before their body even has a chance to respond to make antibodies because that's really... That's your danger period, right, is when you're first exposed, you've never been exposed before, and you're waiting for your body to respond, can we actually intervene and respond more quickly and more effectively? So that's what convalescent plasma is about, but there's other ways to get at making those antibodies too. So one way is to get someone that's been effective and then give them to somebody else. And you can sometimes take that and actually concentrate it. So you can take 10 donors, say, and then that have all had um, covid and sort of concentrate their antibodies so you can give it in a much more concentrated and effective form. That's another way. But there's other ways to make those antibodies, too. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Going back to the diphtheria toxin, and actually that was not from humans. I, I believe it ultimately was made by a horse. So it turns out that mammals have immune systems just like, yeah, people, like ours, right? sort of. Yeah, yep, like ours. And it turns out some of them have actually very to make antibodies that are really very active and they can be purified just like we purified them. I talked about getting the convalescent plasma and concentrating that. We can do that and then make it safe to give to people. And so that's another form of passive immunity that has been used in the past through history. And I know it's being worked out here is to take things like from a horse. That's why people heard about the Serum Institute of India that's where they started. It was a gentleman who owned horse farms and then decided to make antibodies as therapies for infectious diseases. And now, of course, they've been very active in the vaccine production as well. So that's another way. And the third is actually producing the antibodies in the lab. Essentially, this is a drug. And I think that's one of the things that's been challenging with human convalescent plasma in the beginning was how do we measure how effective that drug is? A big part of any drug being approved for use is understanding how strong it is. And so that's why there's a desire and the ability now that we haven't had in the past to actually make these antibodies 
in a lab as a drug, as opposed to immunizing a person through infection or immunizing an animal, but to actually produce them. And that's what the monoclonal antibody therapies that we've heard are about. Yeah, you know, I think that is really promising, being able to make these antibodies, and they're monoclonal in the sense that it's a single clone, and you could really control what that clone is. You could pick antibodies that you know are going to fight the virus really well, because of course the antibodies that I might make might be different than the antibodies you make, and so you take out some of that variability when you're going away from a human donor to being able to make the antibodies themselves in the laboratory. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. I mean, the advantages of making the, the antibodies in the lab is that you know precisely what they are. You can measure them. You can, you can deliver them just like any other drug. Now, but it's important to remember there's some shortcomings too. The reason that antisera or plasma is a benefit is that the way our body works is that we actually have not just one B cell that makes an antibody, we have probably hundreds, which makes, means we're making hundreds of different antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 after we get infected. And those all work in different ways against the virus, right? So if the virus starts to change to get away from one antibody, well, there's another one there that can clear it. There'll be a school of thought to say that maybe the forms coming from either humans or from from an animal that have hundreds of antibodies. Now, we can't measure them as precisely as we do for the ones made in the lab, but that'll be something as people see. That's why they'll see probably both being worked on. And then, of course, we one possibility is to sort of mimic the natural response in the lab, and that's what we've seen with companies like Regeneron. So when they talk about polyclonal therapies, that means that they take two or three different antibodies that they produce in the lab and they mix them together so that any patient's getting two or three different types of antibodies at the same time to ensure the increased likelihood that that therapy will be effective because that is how viruses work is they recognize that in some respects they don't think actively but the way that that, that's how the resistance works is that they change that's why we get different flu vaccines every year because Mm -hmm. we know the flu virus itself is being because of the pressures of the immune responses on it is changing and so we try and give something that represents what's infecting people this year so we'll see this coming forward you know this is such an interesting discussion and i guess promising also because covid 19 has been with us now here almost an entire year and It's good to know that we have ways to protect ourselves against it. You and I have certainly talked about masks and social distancing, but if someone does become sick, it's also really reassuring to know that we have ways to treat, to actually fight the virus itself, to help the patient uh, not produce an overwhelming immune response that might help them. And then, of course, we have on the distance uh, or on the horizon uh, vaccines, which hopefully will also prevent us from ever getting infected. Yep. The vaccines, what they essentially are, is an artificial infection that allows you to make antibodies so that if you are actually exposed, you don't have to have passive immunity because you have active immunity, even though you've never been infected by the virus itself. I mean, that's essentially how a vaccine works, right? It's interesting as you were speaking because it's, uh, there's human biology and there's human nature. So I, I <laughs> yes. think passive, the, the whole idea of antibodies and therapy that really takes advantage of human bi- our understanding of human biology, which is great. Human nature is interesting because actually we tend to focus on the things and invest in the things that are are most front of mind for us. And so ironically, we've been thinking about putting this stuff in place with Ebola. For instance, there was a big effort around Ebola, getting convalescent plasma, getting the concentrated convalescent plasma as therapy. That was actually used in sub-Saharan Africa during outbreaks and shown to be effective. But we never actually created the infrastructure globally to say, 
if something happens, can we do this much more quickly? You know, I think there was talk about it, but Ebola kind of came and we controlled it. Zika kind of came and went. At one hand, it's frustrating. I know, uh, like Commissioner, former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb has talked about this, we, you know, that we should be able to do this more quickly in the future and now. And it's frustrating. But I do think that's one thing is people get afraid. Well, what happens the next year that something shows up in a market in, in India or wherever? You know, that actually what I think we'll see going forward here is a whole different approach globally to how we manage these things and use these tools much more quickly and make them much more widely available. Yes, well, we've certainly learned a lot. And being that eternal optimist that I am, I would say this is our silver lining that hopefully we have learned how to come together in the world to really help fast track things like vaccine production and different therapies. I agree. I mean, it, it's also kind of reassuring that human nature doesn't change that much. We continue to learn the hard way. That's, that's the way people tend to approach <laughs> yeah, things. <true. laughs> yes, you, you learn and you make great strides in the times of uh, stress and chaos. So, exactly. well, I guess for now, we'll go back to our regular statement, which is, you know, please, folks, for those of you listening, protect yourselves. We hope you don't ever have to use any of these drugs and therapies we just talked about, even though it's good to know that they're there. And hopefully we'll have that vaccine soon. But, you know, coming up on Thanksgiving, I guess just a reminder to wear your masks, uh, stay six feet apart, and uh, really just consider how you can keep yourself safe during the holidays. Yes, uh, please do. I, you know, again, it would be great if these therapies are more and more widely available and accessible, and that's really what we're working on. And everyone should know that's why the lockdowns, that's why the measures is to give the medical community a chance to catch up to the virus and get ahead of it. But in the interim, the best thing to do for us is to stay safe and to really think too, uh, I've been working with the Survivor Corps, Diana Barrett, the people that have survived COVID, and there's more and more coming out about the long-term health effects potentially of COVID. Even if you think, well, I'm not going to get really sick, I don't need to protect myself. Actually, you do. And, 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 and so it's, it's even people that have been hospitalized sometimes are having these, these things. So please protect yourself. Please protect others. I know it's going to be really tough. It's been a long year. We'd all love to see our family. Well, most of us would love to see our families, our loved ones. We'd all have someone we'd probably want to see here over the holidays. Um, and uh, this isn't going to be forever. This isn't a forever choice. But we need to really be mindful of what we're dealing with right now. Yes, very well said. Nicely said, though. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. And same to you and to everyone out there as well. I hope you find ways to connect with your loved ones and also take care of yourself, not just from COVID, but of all the other things that are going on. I just uh, wish everyone a happy holidays. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.